All right, glad you are here on a holiday weekend, here to worship tonight. You know, this series of, of sermons we've been doing about finding God in the lyrics and lyrics of what we'd call secular songs sometimes have been kind of fun. Sometimes there'll be a song I think I'm going to use, and then I'll look at the words and I go, I'm not sure that's quite church appropriate, I realize, after I look at the words. But this has been a lot of fun, looking at these different songs, and we'll continue doing this for a few more weeks. Next week, I'll be out of town. Roy Smalling will be preaching, but besides uh, on Sunday night, so he probably won't do one of these, but we'll do them for a little while of finding God in the lyrics. Tonight, we're going to do an old song, old to some. It's right in your wheelhouse for others of you. I try to think about who comes on Sunday nights and what is a song that would hit some of you. And I just asked my daughter on the phone, who's 22, if she knew, knew this song, and she said, I might have heard it before, but she didn't think so. And it's, you light up my life. Now, some of you will know that song well. You light up my life by Debbie Boone. I won't say who, but someone told me this morning that he had a poster of her in his college uh, dorm room. So there were, she was obviously pretty popular for various reasons. She's Pat Boone's daughter, some of you know, but also a beautiful woman with a beautiful voice and did not produce very many songs. But this was one at the time that it seems like everyone knew from a three-year-old to a 103-year-old. Grandmothers as well as their grandchildren knew this song when it came out. Matter of fact, it was so popular on the chart that it became the biggest song of all time, staying at number one longer than any other song. And it, it took out what had been the longest song uh, an Elvis song, and I think the Elvis song was either Jailhouse Rock or You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, one of those. <laughs> but this became the most popular. And so those words tonight that some of you know, we probably we could sing it. Some of you could sing it, and others of you are going, no, we couldn't. So, so many nights I'd sit by my window waiting for someone to see, sing me his song. So many dreams I've kept deep inside me, alone in the dark, but now you've come along, and you light up my life. You give me hope to carry on. You light up my days and fill my nights with song. Rolling at sea adrift on the waters, could it finally, could it be finally I'm turning for home? Finally a chance to say, hey, I love you, never again to be all alone. And you light up my life. You give me hope to carry on. You light up my days and fill my nights with song. Well, obviously, this is a love song, and you understand it that way. But when you think about it in a different way of finding God in the lyrics, you can imagine a person saying this toward God, that God lights up our life, that God gives us hope to carry on, that God takes us from this lonely place into something that is better and more wonderful, that God can do all of that. And so tonight, as we think just for a few minutes together, I want us to think about this, is that Jesus fills our longing for something deeper, something deeper than what we've had in the past. And you know, I, I hurt for people who don't get it, who don't understand, and quite honestly, most people don't get it. There are probably a lot of places we could go tonight in Houston or in other cities or folks watching online in other places. You could go and you would see lots of folks out that don't understand 
the importance of Jesus. And so we try all these different things to fill this hole that somehow this hole in our hearts will, will it, it'll be taken care of and it doesn't work, does it? We try to fill it with other relationships with people and it doesn't quite fulfill us. We fill it with drugs or alcohol. We fill it with, with music or with movies or whatever it may be and it never quite fulfills us. But I want you to see what Jesus wants to do in Romans chapter 6 and verses 5 through 11. When the Apostle Paul writes the deepest of all of his letters, probably, he said, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation. This is a deep passage, and we could spend all night there, but because of the nature of what we're doing tonight, we're only going to stop here for a few minutes and realize there's a whole lot more that we need to go back to later. But it's this idea that Jesus, God, through Jesus, reconciles us, brings us back into relationship. I sometimes think about people who walk away from their faith and we all know lots of people who have walked away from their faith and there are lots of reasons to give for that and so i'm not going to say that that i have this all down to one reason tonight but there are various but let me tell you one thing that sometimes happens at least in my experience at least in my experience sometimes what we have presented to people is the legalistic jesus rather than the relational Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are certainly laws. There are the Ten Commandments, right? For example, in the Old Testament. And there are certainly rules or laws, we may say, in the New Testament as well, and things to follow. Don't, don't misunderstand that. There are, and we talk about those things. But when all people see is this legal relationship with God or he will zap us. They walk away when they don't get zapped. So you've heard me probably say this before. You have Eve back in, the, back in Genesis and Eve is standing there in front of the serpent and the serpent says, did God really say, you know, that you can't eat that? Did God really say these things? And Eve says, oh no, we can't eat it. We can't even touch it. Well, where did she get the idea that she can't touch the fruit? Now, is it a pretty bad idea? You obviously understand that's her way into eating it, right, if she touches it. But nobody said that. At least we don't have record of God ever saying that. I wonder if it was good old Adam protecting Eve. Don't eat it. Don't even touch it. And now when she touches it and she's not zapped and she's still alive, well, then maybe I'll just go ahead and eat it now because the first thing didn't happen. Why will it happen the second time? And so sometimes 
We present something that maybe isn't exactly true. We do it out of love, and sometimes we just pass down what we've gotten, but we end up with people in more trouble than they should have been. And so I'm guessing that during COVID, and I realize we've still got some COVID going on, but oh, that would be a song, wouldn't it? A whole lot of COVID going on. We could do that. I really shouldn't just say everything that comes out of my head. <laughs> but there were folks that got away from the legalism. I got to do this or I'm going to be zapped during that time. And now their faith may be gone altogether because life was so different and we weren't meeting in the same way and ministries weren't going on and maybe they were following this legalistic Jesus rather than this relational Jesus now I'm not don't don't misunderstand me it's not just all it's not just all hugs I'm not trying to mean that but when you think about the words Jesus says on the cross his words are very relational Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. John, this is your mother. This is your son, mom. There is relationship in that. And so somehow, through all of that, we sometimes have missed that because we're so afraid that people are going to go off the, go off the track that we've presented something different to them what jesus fills is this desire for a relationship something that is deeper than just the relationship that that we have with the person who delivers the mail or the packages or the person that that works at the counter at the grocery store those are all relationships but they don't fulfill a need do they what Jesus is talking about is so much deeper than that. It's a thirst. When we have a thirst for God, it changes everything. When I start saying, wow, I want to follow God because he's God. I want to know about him. I want to know more about him. I want to follow him. It changes the way I think. And somehow we transition from this relationship of, oh, I've got to do this, and then therefore I do that, and therefore I do that, as if we think that God is a piece of software that we're installing in our computer. And so we just hit yes, 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 yes. We don't even know what we've said yes to. And it changes over to relationship. Things are different. In Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8, David says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. These words sound very similar to what Debbie Boone sang. 
and you light up my life. To the point that it makes me wonder if she, if she or the songwriter had read this psalm and then wrote the song that they wrote. As I think about you in the night, how you fill me up, what you do for me, how I feel around you. More than likely, this might have been talking about Solomon, but more than likely this appears to be whenever David was on the run after the, after the coup that his son Absalom tried, tried to do on David's kingdom. And so David, David is on the run. Things are rough for David at that point. I mean, he's a king. He's a king in exile. I mean, there's a lot of scariness going on. But somehow he goes from lament to hope in the psalm. I wonder if you've ever been in a place of lamenting and moved into hope. And so that's where he's at as he writes, as he writes this. It's interesting that this passage is so important that many early Christians, from what we understand, that this is one that they would quote every day. You'd get up, then this would be one of your prayers for the day, would be to say this. We sometimes sing the song and we hear the verses sometimes, but this is worthy of thinking about every single day. David is speaking from the desert, from the wilderness when he writes this. And he says, Lord, you fill me up. I thirst for you. I want you. Have you ever found yourself wanting God so desperately? Maybe it's in the middle of a transition. It's when you, maybe you are moving someplace or maybe you have just moved to a new place. Maybe it's when you've been in the hospital with a loved one or you're waiting on results for a loved one or maybe it's for your own sickness that you are, you are thirsting for God. Tonight in that first song we sang about heaven came down, I remember back in my church camp days, and I was in high school at Quartz Mountain Christian Camps where I'd go in south, I have to think about the direction, southwestern Oklahoma, and that song we had to memorize one year. It's a great song, and it took me back to really in many ways of my life changing at that camp in so many ways. I remember at night, it'd all be dark, and we'd, have, we'd, we'd all get this light stick. Some of you have done this before at camps, and you'd have the light stick, and you'd pass it around, and you'd talk, and, and when you got the light stick, it was your turn to talk, and then you'd pass it on to someone else, and you didn't have to, but, but you know, I always did. I was a preacher in the making right then. But it was when I really started to thirst for God. And I started saying, that's what I want. There wasn't some kind of crisis happening at the moment. But there was a thirst that was starting to happen, that I want to know God in a deeper way than I've ever known him before. That's one reason why those kind of camps are so good, because of sometimes we see that. So David is saying, oh, thirst for God. I love that verse, that last verse, verse 80 says, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. That word cling is the same word that is used for a wife clinging to the husband. That's the same word that's used when it talks about Hezekiah clinging to God. That we cling, we hold on with all of our might. Some of you know what this is like. You've had a two-year-old or a three-year-old that didn't like it whenever you left home, right? And they hold on to your leg as, 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 as tightly as they could. This is David in a difficult situation holding on to God as deeply and as, as seriously as he, as he could because of the situation that he's in. Now, some days 
We don't just say, Lord, I am so thirsty I can't stand it. But there is a lifestyle that moves into thirsting for God every day. There is a depth that Jesus fills of where we want God more and more and more. And it's not just when I'm in trouble and it's not just when I'm sick and it's not just when, when things are going the wrong way, but every day I lean toward that. But let me also say this before we get too far from this and this idea of light, to bring this into the New Testament, Jesus is the light. And I think, I hope we know that. You may not, but you know it now, right? John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, these sayings and these verses we pull out aren't just verses that were just set in a vacuum somewhere, and Jesus just one day thought, hey, I got a good illustration. How about I am the light of the world? That's not how it works. He is actually participating in what is known as the Festival of Lights, also known as the Festival of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S, not B-O-O-Z-E, but B-O-O-T-H-S. You know this as Hanukkah. And he's participating in this, and there are lights all around. And Jesus says, you want to know the true light? The true light is me. I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Oh, there are so many passages, 1 John 1 and so many other places that talk about Jesus being the light and what it means to walk in the light as he is in the light. But I need that. Have you ever been in a room where there was just only darkness and you can't even see your hand in front of your face? It's kind of scary, isn't it? Sometimes it can make us go kind of crazy of told you this story before, but back during Hurricane Ike, there was a man in our neighborhood who our lights were off for six days or five or six days in our neighborhood. And one day we come home and our neighbor from down the street was standing in our front yard and our lights of our car hit her. She's standing there. It's about 10 o'clock at night. And that's kind of scary when you see someone standing in your front yard and the neighborhood is completely dark. And she says, there's a man in my backyard down the street who says that he, that he can sw flip a switch in my backyard to make all the electricity come on in the neighborhood. And she said, I'm scared to death. My husband's out of town. So I get the neighbor next door. I said, call the constable and let's go. And so we go one way looking for him and the police went another way looking for him and we finally found him and he just wasn't thinking clearly. I mean, he, was ha he had some mental issues, the man did. But as I talked to the constable that night, I remember she said the darkness is making people go crazy. She said, there are domestic violence cases happening in houses that you would never believe it because of the darkness. She said, there are people that are committing crimes that have never been in trouble ever before, but the darkness is making them think in ways they never have before. And Jesus says, I am the light. And if you follow me, there will be no darkness. There will be light. You will always be able to see where you're going. And if you don't see, I'll see for you. So, while Jesus is the light, I'm supposed to be the light too. I'm supposed to be the light. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A, city, um, a town or city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, there is an expectation that if I am following Jesus, that I will also be light. I'm not the light, but I am a light for Christ. There's an expectation that I will be living my life in a way that makes it so other people can see. In these days, you've heard most of this, so I won't go into it too deeply, but you would have had a little lamp that would have had oil in it, and you don't want that lamp to ever go out because it's hard to get started again, so they would continue to fill those lamps with oil, the little lamps. You certainly would never put it under your bed because what kind of sense would that make? Or you wouldn't hide it under a bushel? No, because that wouldn't make any sense either, right? Because a light is intended to be seen. A light is to direct people so that you can read or you can cook or you can converse with someone or go on a trip or whatever it may be. That we are expected to be the light, not just Jesus, but us. I worked in a place years ago before it was a temporary job. And I can remember this group that I worked with. We were moving a company into a new building. And, boy, it gave me 10,000 illustrations working with these folks. But I'll never forget this man that I worked with. I have, he stole things from the company. He, he cussed like, he did not cuss like a sailor. He made sailors blush. And one day he said, so when this job's over, what are you going to do? I said, well, my wife and I, we're getting ready to be missionaries. We're moving to Brazil. Really? I said, yeah. He said, I'm in charge of the gospel band in my church. I said, could have fooled me. <laughs> you see, it's not just Jesus that's the light. We are to be the light. There's an expectation from Christ of what we will be like and who we will be. I should be bringing joy and truth and commitment and hope to others it is expected that we will carry on the work that Christ carries on. And so the light being seen in me is Jesus. If there is something that is not good being seen in me, it is not Jesus, but it is myself or Satan or however you want to put that. It is Jesus that is to be seen. And so if I help someone, I should be helping in the name of Jesus. If I'm kind to someone, I should be kind in the name of Jesus. I don't need to say that in a way that's weird and runs them off. But when that opportunity comes, it is because I'm a Christian, because I follow Christ or whatever it may be, that I'm helping in the name of Jesus. Sometimes it's so difficult, isn't it? Because we get to be like everybody else and things get under our skin like it does everybody else. But there is an expectation for those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus that we will be light rather than darkness, that we will be those who help other people. So, two quick questions. What lights up my life? What gives me hope? I hope on a holiday weekend, if you're here, you're watching our streaming, that what gives you hope is Jesus himself. You know, everything else I know of disappoints. Things disappoint. People disappoint. We have big plans and they disappoint. Jesus does not 
disappoint. We don't always understand, and sometimes we think we're disappointed, but then as time moves on, we understand where he was headed, or usually we do. And then even a more important question maybe for us, or just as important is, where am I the light? You know, I heard about, I can't remember, someone just told me this story, about a congregation somewhere where, where they were, uh, when they appoint elders, they go to the neighbors of the guy who's up to be an elder, and they ask the neighbors what the guy and his wife are like. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be a good one, wouldn't it? <laughs> and they go to their job, and they ask, well, what would it be like if somebody went to our job or to our neighbors and said, what can you tell me about her or him? Would you say that person is a Christian? Would you say that they represent Jesus in a way that would make you want to follow Jesus? Well, that might make all of us think just a little bit, right? Or go into a witness protection program. <laughs> Where am I the light? I was called to be the light wherever I am, wherever I stand, to be the light. So maybe tonight you need to be baptized into Christ or maybe you need prayers, you can write to us at mcoc.org, to elders at mcoc.org, or you can come forward. We'd love to help you. We want to be a stronger light than we've ever been as well. Come as we stand and sing.